Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Hello and welcome back to a belated episode of The Hard Foul. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler, and with me as always, Colin Taylor from Gamecock Central. He and I were both very eager to talk about South Carolina's exciting, sort of unpleasant in terms of the watching experience, win for South Carolina on Wednesday night over the Arkansas Razorbacks, the number 28 team in the net, a win on the road, one of the toughest places to play in the country, a huge win for South Carolina. And those of you that have subscribed to the podcast, first of all, we appreciate it. For those of you that haven't, rate, review, subscribe. But for those of you that are subscribed, you know that we... I've been pretty good about rolling on Tuesdays and Thursdays on this thing. You know, get a little Saturday recap on Tuesday, plus some Wednesday preview, and then the opposite of that on Thursday. And I know what you're thinking. Hey, this podcast, you may even be listening to it this weekend, but this podcast didn't drop until Friday. What the heck's going on? Well, it's a little bit of an embarrassing story. We were supposed to record at about 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon, and Colin, because he's always on it, texted me and said, hey, I'm, I'm a couple minutes early. You want to record early? And I said something to the effect of, I'm uh, currently enduring some embarrassing and extremely uncomfortable intestinal distress laying on my floor. So, <laughs> I, I generally eat pretty well. 
Um, some pretty healthy, pretty healthy diet. And I, I've maybe been going a little too far in the last couple of weeks as I've been trying to see out the remainder of January eating no refined sugar and no alcohol. And it hasn't been that hard. Like I haven't been craving it overly for most of that time. But I, I guess I'm just I'm getting to the end. I know that the end is tomorrow, in fact, Saturday, February 1st. And so I, the, the sweet craving has been creeping back in and I've just been looking for ways to replace it. So I've been eating a lot of like RX bars and Lara bars and these, you know, they're basically like dried fruit and nut bars that are pretty sweet and like close enough that they satisfy my craving. And on top of that, um, like for lunch, a lot of days I'll just make a smoothie. It'll be like, you know, cucumber and spinach and banana and like yogurt, a little bit of cinnamon or something like that. So a lot of spinach. And then this week, uh, Monday night, I, I just cooked a bunch and I've been eating leftovers and it was chicken fine, but then also a bunch of spinach and Brussels sprouts. So a lot of cruciferous vegetables, a lot of fiber in the dried fruit, a lot of fiber in the nuts. And I point is, I've just been eating a lot of fiber. Like Wednesday, I had an RX bar and two Lara bars. And then Tuesday, I think I had an RX bar and a Lara bar. And at about two o'clock yesterday, I just got stricken with like the worst and most uh, peculiar pain. It was a stomach ache, but it was like kind of above my belly button. And it just, it was awful. It was like a, a, a kind of a, I mean, it wasn't a sharp pain exactly, but it wasn't dull. But it was really, it was really intense. It was really constant. I mean, it was like really uncomfortable. It didn't hurt so much as it was uncomfortable. It hurt to stand. It hurt to sit. Um, I didn't know what the problem was. So, of course, I, I do it. what any 26-year-old man probably does in this situation. I called my mom. Yeah. I said, Mom, what's going on? What, did my appendix rupture? Like, why am I? Like, what's going on? And, you know, I told her that I've been eating a lot of, like, our X bars and a lot of spinach and stuff lately. And she was like, oh, you probably just have like a really insane gas buildup. So go get some gas X. And I was like, okay. So I hobbled to my car at like, you know, a little after two, drove to CVS. I also called my girlfriend who was also a mom. And so, you know, got to consult all the moms in my life because they just are good in situations like this. And she's like, get some seltzer, um, get a heating pad, put that on your stomach, um, which I thought sounded a little bit silly, but I'll get to that later. Um, lay on your back and like pull your knees to your chest and then do like some kind of yoga moves like the downward dog and then just kind of like, you know, basically move it around. So all that to say, we couldn't record yesterday because I spent two hours yesterday afternoon just laying on my floor, pounding Perrier with a tiny little space heater just like pointed at my stomach as if I were like incubating something in my belly. Um, and uh, I feel better now. I felt better by like, you know, five o'clock yesterday. But System uh, reset for like yeah. It was, it was really embarrassing. And it's like, body, I'm trying to give you good food, like fruit and nuts and spinach, trying to be extra healthy, trying to be good to you. What the hell? Why do you hate me? See, this is why you just stick to a pizza and beer diet. I know. This is why, I mean, I have never had that kind of problem the last, probably since I got into college. I can't remember the last time I had it. That's because good. Because I live on a pizza and beer diet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The benefits of that, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm only eating chicken fingers from here on out. So. Yeah, no, fried food all the way. Yep. Are you one of those guys that's like pathetic when he's sick? Like when he's got like a stomach ache or, the, or a cold or something? You know, I used to be really, really pitiful when I got sick. I'd like to think I'm less so now. Oh, I'm still. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I wouldn't even say I was sick yesterday. I was just like so uncomfortable and just like oh, even when I'm uncomfortable. laying on my floor. Even when I'm uncomfortable. It's yeah. Like I, like I am woe is me, mm-hmm. world's ending. Yeah. Like calling my fiance, telling her to like bring me, like bring me soup and like all this stuff that I don't need. 
but mm-hmm. I just want to see if she'd do it. Yeah. Kind of thing. I've, I've kind of gone the other way a little bit where I'm really stubborn and I'm like, no, like I don't need anything. I'll be fine. I'll get better. I'll do it myself. Um, and that's like the last couple of years. It's, it has more to do with me being stubborn than me, like not being pitiful. Oh, that's but, but like I could break my leg and still go into work the next day. Mm-hmm. That, those are the ones where it's like, I'm fine. Like mm-hmm. keep moving. But when I have like a cold, oh, yeah, or like yeah. a stomach ache, it's like, no, like yeah. I'm dead to the world for that point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's fine. If, if yeah. you're going to, if you're going to gut it out through like the serious ailments and injuries, you deserve to, you know, get your time off when you just have a cold or a little sore throat or something yeah. like that. So I uh, pulled a tooth. I had a tooth pulled day before opening day two years ago. Oh, really? Went to a press conference the same day Ugh. and then did a live hit the next morning at like 6 a.m. for Jeez. a TV, like, TV station. Oh, my gosh. Was your mouth all swollen? And- it was weird. So, like, they give you pain medication, obviously, for it. Um, this is a wild story. And so I take the pain medication before bed but the last thing i'd eaten was um like at four in the afternoon like i had some mac and cheese because it's taking i to eat a whole lot of you know solid foods mm-hmm. and creamy and, and liquid diet um so i'm on pain medication no food in my stomach i hop up at 6 a.m oh no to take a shower i don't remember the shower i don't remember laying on my floor Ugh. like i wake up at like 7 a.m and i have to like hurry to get to you know founders park for a live hit for a tv show and I mean, it was it was brutal. Yikes! Yeah, that's a fun story. That was Mark Kingston's opening day. So oh, Mark, really? Yeah. So Mark, if you're listening to this, <laughs> that was the adventure that I was going. On. I asked him like a couple questions with like bloody gla- like gauze in my mouth the Ugh. day before, and yeah, golly, that's, that's right. my uh, sick story. So moral of the story: uh, you're a trooper. Also, moral moral of the story: if you're, you're a gonna, trooper. If you're well, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> you do handled it. I just laid on my floor yeah. and just burped for two hours. Yeah. This is so much more information than anybody listening to this podcast wanted or expected to hear. Uh, I'm assuming that at least half of you have just sort of hit the fast forward button uh, until we stop talking about this. So all that to say, I apologize that this podcast is late. It's because I'm an idiot. We'll put in the time where we actually start talking about basketball. And <laughs> yeah. You can like okay, yeah, yeah. To it. We'll timestamp this like seven yeah. minutes or whatever yeah. it is. Uh, but importantly, I was sad that this is late because I was excited to talk about Carolina's 79-77 to win over Arkansas. As I mentioned, a huge win on the road against the number 28 team in the net. That's a quad one win. Very, 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 very solidly quad one win. South Carolina's third of the season. A game that Carolina didn't need to win, and now that they have, they're sort of out front. They have three straight winnable games, starting at home against Missouri, then on the road against Ole Miss, and then they have Georgia. I can't remember if that's in Athens or in Columbia. It's in Athens. Uh, that, that one's at Athens, and then the I guess the home stand a little bit later in the season. But Carolina now has a chance to go on a little bit of a run and for the first time since they, I won't even say since the Virginia game, for the first time this season, South Carolina is a little bit ahead. Because the Virginia game was kind of making up for the Boston loss, and then you immediately lose to Stetson, and the Kentucky loss is kind of making up for the Stetson loss. And now, again, for the first time, they're sitting here at 12-8, and 4-3 and three in the conference, with a lot of winnable games left down the stretch. Carolina is not in pole position, but in the best position they have been, at least since conference play started. Yeah, you don't want to say they're in the driver's seat, but they're... They're kind of climbing over the center console at this point, you know. Um, you look at the SEC standings. I mean, it's a cluster right now, but you have. I'm looking at it right here. One, two, three, four, five, six teams at four and three in the conference. It is as wide open as you can get it. There is, if things break right for South Carolina, and they're only two games behind Kentucky mm-hmm. with the tiebreaker. With the tiebreaker, so there's. And you're, the back half of your schedule is very, very favorable to you outside of 
outside of really three games with Mississippi Mi- State, two Mississippi States, and then LSU. And I, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you got to win against a team that, if projections continue the way they're going, will be in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. You've now beaten, I mean, depending on how Virginia and Clemson do, you could have beaten now three or four tournament teams mm-hmm. in the same season. So, uh, this is a very this might be the most impressive win to date for South Carolina outside of maybe the Kentucky win, but to go on the road in that environment and not get good performances from Jermaine, from Justin, from Keyshawn, and still win, that says a lot about this team, and it says a lot about what they can be moving down the stretch. This was kind of the opposite of the Vanderbilt game where there, there wasn't a ton to talk about in the Vanderbilt game. There was a ton to talk about in this Arkansas game. As you mentioned, a lot of good, a lot of bad, a lot of ugly. We're going to break it down that way for Carolina. Um, also worth mentioning, I, I meant to say this off the top, and it's just so unusual. South Carolina did not have a uh, wire-to-wire win against Vanderbilt, and it felt like they could have. What were the odds that this was the wire-to-wire win that South yeah. Carolina was going to get this week? It's it's amazing. I mean, the fact that I can't state enough how like this is a fringe top 25 team, that they were receiving votes in the AP poll. They were... They're a 15-win team right now and at this late into the year. So they hung with Kentucky. They, they're they a good team. And to come out and just bully your way to a win, it was not pretty. But you bullied your way to a win against a team that, for all intents and purposes, could finish top four in the league. So you got to feel good about this if you're South Carolina. Especially you got to feel good about the momentum you're building I mean, they've won, what, four of the last five games? Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of people are talking about that. Um, you've won four of your last five with some pretty damn good wins in there. So this is this is a South Carolina team that's kind of turning a corner. And all that while still not playing their best basketball, I think it's fair to say. Now, yeah. they got good contributions, and we're going to talk about some of that. In fact, we're going to start with the good. Uh, A.J. Lawson, who has been finding his stroke a little bit more confidently, had what Frank Martin called his best game of the season, certainly his best game since SEC play started. 19 points, very efficient, 8 of 13 shooting, 3 of 7 from three-point land, 5 rebounds, 2 assists, a steal, and importantly, second game in a row, just one turnover for AJ. That's kind of the key. Not only is he playing freer and a little more aggressively, but he's doing it smarter than he has the entire year, maybe his entire career, just in terms of not putting the ball in jeopardy. And that is, that was the, that was, kind of the centerpiece of what propelled South Carolina to victory for me on Wednesday. Yeah, and I think that you look at his efficiency numbers, and he's shooting over 50% for his last four games. So he's taking smart shots, he's knocking them down, which is something he had not done. Um, Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where AJ's kind of, as the team's going and they're figuring out their identity, AJ's settling into a role, and it's off the ball, it's throw him in a ball screen and let him attack the rim, and free him up for some open threes, and he finished with his highest offensive rating of the year since Boston. Mm. So Boston, I think he had a 129, he finished with 123. First time in back-to-back games, he's had an offensive efficiency over uh, 120 this season. So this is an A.J. Lawson that's kind of figuring out his game, and I think I saw it on the message board, and I kind of agree with it. He looked like an NBA player last night, mm-hmm. or whatever, Wednesday night. This is Friday morning. Mm-hmm. Um he looked like an often, you know, an NBA player, and so that's huge for South Carolina. If they can get a talented guy like that playing good basketball to mix it in with a Trey Hannibal, who I'm sure we'll talk about, mm-hmm. um, 
Keyshawn Bryant when he's playing well, Jermaine Kustar when he's playing well, Justin Minaya, Mike Kotsar, who I think had a very, very quietly good game, um, and he should have against Arkansas. If you pair all that stuff together, this is not a team I would really want to face in late February and in the conference tournament. No, especially in, in conference play, or excuse me, in tournament play, uh, both conference tournament and NCAA tournament. I think the referees are a, a little more willing to swallow the whistle, which certainly helps South Carolina, one, because they Oof. foul so damn much, and the other part of it is they don't want to be fouled because they're such a horrendous free-throw shooting team, and we're going to get to that um, a little bit later in the podcast, but it's kind of a hallmark of Frank Martin. It's It's a very different team than the team that went to the Final Four, and obviously we're a long way away from having that conversation, but... Given that South Carolina is in position now where you look at the rest of their games, they're probably they have a path, they have a pretty comfortable path to 20 wins should they take care of business in the games that they are supposed to. And to your point, when you say driver's seat, you said driver's seat earlier, and I meant to mention this kind of, but they are a hundred percent in control of their own destiny in terms yes. of claiming the four seed and another, which would be the double fourth and five years, double buy in the SEC tournament. Mississippi State's ahead of them. Alabama's ahead of them. They get to play Alabama. They play Mississippi State twice. They have an opportunity to leapfrog those teams. Um, and so in that respect, they are in control of their own destiny. And getting that double buy in the SEC, I think some people are like, well, you miss out on the early rounds, opportunities to get wins. You're automatically playing a team that's like a little bit harder, that has advanced one or two rounds in the SEC tournament. But I think, I mean, that kind of stuff could possibly factor into a tiebreaker. So I, I'm with you. I mean, this is not a team that I don't think people are really excited to see late in the season, especially if A.J. continues his upward trajectory and finishes the season playing like the guy that people were expecting to see from the word go this season. Uh, the other number that sticks out to me in terms of A.J.'s stat line from Wednesday, 38 minutes, which is a team high. And you and I talk so much about how much of an indicator that is in terms of how Frank Martin feels about someone's entire game, just trust, confidence, everything like that. And that was validated on the very last possession of the game, the most high-pressure moment when I think about 150 consecutive possessions had ended with a foul, and Arkansas has an attempt from the corner, the short three, to win the game at the buzzer, and A.J. Lawson plays great defense without fouling. Yes. Um, that was the moment, and that absolutely validates Frank's decision because it's not only the 8 of 13 shooting and just the one turnover. There were one or two times when A.J. looked like he fell asleep on defense, but by and large, he looked more engaged. Um, he was good on the glass, as we see he can be when he is engaged. And good defense without fouling when it matters. And that that summed up his game as much as anything on Wednesday, I thought. Yeah, and I think that he was helped a lot by Trey Hannibal denying the ball to Mason Jones. But you put A.J. Lawson on one of the better, now granted he was hurt, but Isaiah Joe is a very, very good player. And to hold him to what they did and, you know, make him work for pretty much everything he got, I don't think he made a basket for like eight straight minutes. Yeah, shot five of 16 for the game. Yeah, Joe. Yeah, I think. In 36 that, minutes. Yeah, it was. And not a whole lot of that came in the second half. So defense has always been, I don't want to say the Achilles heel for A.J., but it's the thing that's been most inconsistent with him this season. And he's slowly starting to figure it out. You're seeing him get on ball defense a little bit better. Um, They still have a kind of a problem guarding guards at times and letting a few guys get downhill. But, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, Trey Hannibal, man, the job he did, against to deny Mason Jones the ball on that final possession. That's a guy that's Mason Jones is a junior and Trey Hannibal's a a freaking freshman. Mm -hmm. And to do that. And Frank talked about it on his call-in show last night uh, after the game that Trey, like he, he wanted him. He said, let's play man. Let's, let's go fist, which is their man to man. 
and put him on. Let me guard him and give Hannibal credit. He was outsized a little bit, but he denied the ball, and that forced the contested jumper in the corner. And A.J. Lawson, for as much grief as Frank's given him defensively this year, stepped up, got a hand in the face, and he missed. And it's where that length comes in. You and I talked about you know, how the, I guess, defensive responsibilities would be distributed, and I just wondered, do you put A.J. on whoever's hot because he has the length to bother those guys even if he's not even if he's not Carolina's like best, most consistent defensive option. And it wasn't necessarily the case, but you see the length bothering the shot at the end of the game, and you're like, oh yeah, that's why this guy does have the highest upside in terms of being an on-ball uh, defender for Carolina, if he can put it all together and do it consistently. Uh, you already mentioned Hannibal. He was the next. You know, normally we're a little free-flowing with this. We did we made like a, a little rundown for this because there were so many different things to talk yes. about, and I wanted to make sure we got to all of them. So I have my goods written down, my bads, and my uglies. Uh, second thing I wrote down on good was Trey Hannibal. He played just 16 minutes, but it was a very, very impactful 16 minutes. Four of seven from the field. 15 of those were in the second half. Yeah, mostly in the second half. 11 points, uh, three rebounds, one assist. You mentioned the great defense towards the end of the game. And just energy, just activity. It's, it's, He's the spark plug. He's the engine, the heart of this team in a lot of ways, which is weird for a guy that played 16 minutes, and that's about as much as he'll ever play. But you mentioned the defensive possession to end the game. The other play that I feel like summed up Hannibal's effort and is probably a good representation, I guess a synecdoche, if you will, of what he means to this team and how much he can, I guess, aid the potential upside of this team is a play when Jair Bolden's driving from like the left shoulder baseline. Looks like he's going to run out of bounds. There's no way he's going to get the shot up. And all of a sudden, Hannibal flashes in the paint. Credit to Jair for finding him and dropping a perfect dime like while he's being basically driven out of bounds. And Hannibal was able to elevate for the dunk. But everyone else was kind of standing around waiting for a kickout pass. But Hannibal is relentless. He doesn't stop moving on defense. He doesn't stop moving on offense. And it just makes everybody else better. It makes other people making plays easier. Yeah, and I think that the play that really jumped out at me was towards the end where Arkansas is kind of making its final push. There was like a, a missed shot on the Arkansas side. And Trey Hannibal kind of elevates to get his eyes on the rim and pull down a defensive rebound mm-hmm. that no one else was really going for. And he pulls it down. It's a monster rebound. Yeah, and like that was huge because if Arkansas, they're not a good offensive rebounding team, but they had guys near the basket. And if they get that, with the way fouls were being called in that game, there was a chance that you could get fouled. You know, you foul there and then you ha- they're going to the line and another guy's either fouled out or has some foul trouble. So... For him to be able to do a lot of what he's doing speaks volumes to his progression, speaks volume. I mean, it's like it's like you found a boulder on the side of the roll road, put like springs on him and coils and just told him and tossed him a basketball yeah. plate. Like it's one of those things where he's so he's built like a, a damn linebacker mm-hmm. and he plays like it and he just gets downhill and he's gonna make some freshman mistakes. Um Frank wasn't happy with him for almost getting a 10-second call that resulted in a turnover because yeah. Jermaine Kuhn started bobbing the ball. Mm-hmm. But, and did have four turnovers in the game. Yeah, and, and that's that's something he's going to work on, and that's something you live with being a freshman. But Trey Hannibal, every 16 minutes isn't created equal. That you could play four, you know, four stretches of four or whatever, but for him to play 15 minutes in the second half, now granted foul trouble was a big part of that. Jermaine obviously had four. But for Frank to trust him in that big of a game to run the point speaks volumes to how much he's grown as a player mm-hmm. since early December. I mean, we were talking, we were, our, our conversation, I think, headed into conference play. 
I think it was headed as a conference player. Maybe it was before the Virginia game. I don't know. One of the early podcasts that we did here, the conversation was, is Trey Hannibal going to be a 12 to 15 minute guy by the end of the season? And you were, and you and I were both like, it doesn't really seem like he's ready to make that leap. And he's abs. I mean, like we, we both wanted to see it, but just did not based on how little Frank seemed yeah. to trust him, how short his leash seemed to be. But Hannibal has just proven, you know, I don't know if it's a matter of him practicing better or if Frank has just realized that whenever this guy is on the court under the lights, he turns it on. You just can't not put him on the floor. Now, I want to ask you, I'm, I'm a little bit weary. I don't know if you have this number right in front of you. Um, box minus, I think, is a good number. It's a good indicator. I would guess that Trey Hannibal did not finish with a positive plus minus because Arkansas did win the second half. He played most of his minutes in the second half. But I'm hoping that I'm going to ask you, and I'm and you're going to have it, and I'm going to be wrong because I agree with you. I felt like that was just an incredibly important 16 minutes that he played most of them in the second half. So I don't have box plus minus, but I do have Trey's plus minus right here in okay. front of me. What do you think? I would guess I would guess like minus two, but only because Arkansas won the second half. You're close. Minus five. Really? Okay. All right. So there were only two players. No, there were three players. I think or four that had a m- sub zero plus minus against Arkansas. Alonzo Frank minus nine, Jair Bolden minus two, um, Trey Hannibal minus five. Wait, Frank minus nine in five minutes? <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Um, um, and then Levesque minus six. But Keyshawn Bryant plus one, mm-hmm. um, Kusnar plus three, McCreary plus four. All right, so how do we reconcile these things? Because, I, like I said, I anticipated the number to be kind of low. But we both feel like Trey Hannibal was one of the most important pieces in this victory. That's why I like plus minus, but I like it more on a grand scale mm, to yeah. where it's like a larger sample size. So, yeah. like, Hannibal over his last three games is... When I could actually scroll over to it on my spreadsheet, Hannibal over his last three games is plus eighteen. Okay, well, so you take you yeah, so you take larger chunks. He's plus nineteen for the season when he plays, or plus thirteen for the season when he plays. So that's kind of how you judge that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of you look at just the impact he makes and his rebound rate. His you know his turnover rate is still a little high, but his assist rate's good. And he's a guy you want in the game, and, mm-hmm. and that's why stats really don't tell you the full story sometimes. Right. Because, yeah, and so some of those energy yeah. plays, like, the, you're right, the impact of that rebound that he grabbed at the end of the game, that shows up in the box score as a rebound, but it felt like a bigger moment yeah. than that. And that game. defensive deny, denial of um, Mason Jones yeah, is that, not going to come That didn't show in. up anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's just going to go as a missed free throw to, or missed three-pointer to Isaiah Jones. Mm-hmm. So um, the stuff he does maybe doesn't show up on the box score all the time, but the fact that he's, you know, plus 18 in his last three games kind of mm-hmm. tells you all you kind of need to know about. Yeah. Him. All right, so the next two things I have written down, I feel like we can sort of combine into one. You and I went into this game saying Carolina has a significant size advantage. You're probably going to turn the ball over, so you have to make up some of those extra possessions on the offensive glass. Now, neither of those things happened. South Carolina turned the ball over 16 times, which is you know a decent amount, not a ton. It's above average. I think they have like 13 or 14 turnovers a game. So it wasn't an outrageous number, um, and it was actually equal with Arkansas. They both turned the ball over 16 times, so that was not a deficit that South Carolina was facing, which is good because they actually lost the offensive rebounding yeah. battle 7-5. to five. Uh, Total rebounds were even 36-36. to 36. But South Carolina's bigs combined for 24 points. Mike Coates are 10 points, added 9 rebounds and assists, 2 steals a block. That was a very nice stat line. Uh, Wilden Zavec with just an incredible stat line. I, I want to talk about him. I put him... Where did I put him? Okay, I, I put it in the ugly because it was combined with fouls because 
Levesque had just a fascinating game. Eight points, five rebounds in eight minutes. Wow, Wildens, what an amazingly efficient game. Eight points and five rebounds in eight minutes and fouled out in eight minutes. Do you happen to know off the top of your head what the shortest time for a Carolina player to foul out is? I do not, but my guess would be a Chris Silva game. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, too. I, I was wondering if Chris Silva had like a five and five or five and fewer than five. But Wilden Zvek fouling out in eight minutes is extremely impressive. But still was able to add eight points. Uh, Jalen McCreary added another six and three. So 24 points combined for South Carolina's bigs. Even though they didn't kill the offensive glass, they were able to score. They combined for 10 of 15 from the floor shooting. Five of nine from Mike, three of three from Wilden's, and two of three from McCreary. So like I said, the next two things I had written down were efficient scoring. South Carolina shot 51% from the floor. Overall, 28 of 55, and the bigs in particular scoring efficiently against Arkansas's undersized bigs. That was a huge key for this game. Chris Chris Silva fouled out in eight minutes. Oh, did he really? Georgia's freshman year. All right, so Wilden's And then again in 11 minutes. Okay. Like two games later. But Wilden's is in like the upper echelon then. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, bottom echelon. This is stuff a legend for Wilden's. Yeah, effect. well, we will always remember Wilden's back fouling out in eight minutes against Arkansas. Um, yeah. But before we get to the ugly part of that, the good part of that, again, efficient scoring in general and especially from the bigs, for a team that you, I think you mentioned this just kind of in passing, and I don't know if you have more numbers to extrapolate here, but Carolina, not a great offensive team, especially in the half court, but it's been getting better. And like really since conference play started, it's it feels like it's been okay or better than in non-con at least. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not middle of the pack, but they're slightly below average and just in terms of SEC play. Um, it's one of those things where like, I don't think it's a shocker that they're three ball is actually starting to fall and their offense is getting better because of it so they're ninth in offensive efficiency in the conference games only not great they're just slightly below average a point below average um for that but they're third in the sec in three-point percentage Hmm. which is really good Mm -hmm. so that's where i think the offense is and they're obviously getting a little bit more open court and it helps when you're shooting the ball really well and this is kind of the offense that I expect from South Carolina. Not great, but able to put up points when they want to. Um, they're gonna. The reason their their efficiency numbers are not great is because they have a lot of possessions, and sometimes you're just not gonna, you know, make every shot, and so mm-hmm. that efficiency number goes down. But they're able to put up a lot of points. I mean, they went on the road and put up what seventy nine points against Arkansas. Mm-hmm. That's. I mean, you put up almost eighty points against a top twenty five team. That's pretty good. So, yeah, I think that. This is kind of the offense I expected. Knock down a few threes here, there, get the ball in the paint. You drive the drive the lane and get fouled and make free throws, knock on wood. And um it's kind of what I expected. Yeah. And it's it wasn't an outrageous number of threes. Like in general, they've been shooting them better, but this is sort of like some of Carolina's earlier performances where they're shooting twenty percent from three or eighteen percent from three. That always felt like a little bit of an outlier. It always felt like they were better. They were getting good looks. Yeah, yeah, right. And, you, and it was just a matter of knocking them down. And again, they've had some, you know, 16 of 30 kind of performances. You knew that wasn't sustainable. 6 of 20, 7 of 20, 7 of 21, 8 of 22. That feels comfortable. That doesn't yeah. feel like they're You can really, survive on that. Right. It, you can survive on that clearly because it was good enough to beat Arkansas despite leaving 16 points at the free throw line, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But it doesn't feel like anything that, oh, well, you know, this guy's hot or this guy's hot, so it's not really sustainable. You expect it to come crashing back down. Manaya one of three. That's his worst three-point shooting performance in a couple of games. I don't remember what he was against Vanderbilt, actually, off the top of my head. But before that, he'd really been finding his three-point stroke. Um, Keyshawn misses only one. AJ hit three of seven. Jermaine didn't hit any. 0 of four. 2 of five from Bolden. 
none of those numbers jump out as like outrageously efficient or like, oh, that can't happen again. Like yeah. AJ three of seven versus two of seven. I don't know. But if Jermaine takes four threes, you expect him to hit one or two of them in general. You know, Jair hitting two of five and shooting three of seven overall. Like that feels about right. And it just feels like I guess really since Jermaine was inserted as the point guard and now that AJ has found his rhythm a little bit more and just looks a little more confident. And the other thing we forgot to mention about AJ just while we're talking about the efficient scoring is not only that his shots dropping and that Carolina has found out or figured out exactly how to use him in a more off the ball role, but there were a couple times when at least one time that I can remember that the camera did not get his basket because Carolina went so quickly in transition. It was just like yeah. rebound, pass ahead to Hannibal, pass ahead to Lawson, bucket. And yeah. the camera's just like trying to catch up because he's getting out and he's attacking, which is what he did so well last year, what he didn't do for a lot of this season and what he's doing more now. And that that's those easy buckets. You know, it's not like full transition because it's not a steal or a block, but you grab a quick rebound and you go up the court. That essentially is it's transition or semi-transition or whatever you want to call it. But since that happened, since Kuznar got in there, and since Bryant's offensive efficiency started to tick upwards more towards what we expected, this offense has started to look, you know, pretty decent. It's passing the eye test. The numbers might not be there to wow you, but it passes the eye test, and they're looking more aggressive. They're getting to the rim compared to what they were against A&M and compared to what they were against Auburn. This is slowly rounding into form of what I expected when mm-hmm. they're they're not lighting it up from three. I didn't expect them to light it up from three this year, but they're able to attack the rim with some guys. They're able to get in there and, and make threes at times, and they have stretches where they play really efficiently. Now they got to cut down on inefficient offense when you're turning the ball over so much, but this is kind of – they're not playing their best, but they're getting closer to it. They're trending in the right direction. The last thing that I have written down, and then I'll get to any uh, goods that you feel like we didn't touch on, and this is – I'm hesitant to say that it is a theme or the MO of this team, but resilience. Yeah. Whether it's withstanding a big run in the second half against Virginia, having to claw back into the game, being down by whatever it was, 13 or 17 against Kentucky, and then withstanding several smaller runs against Arkansas in what some people consider to be the toughest place in the conference to play, including Rupp, when they're making shots, when they're getting stops, when they're shooting a million free throws, when you can't buy a free throw, this team continues to find a way to gut it out. And it's not what I would have expected, A, from a young team, and B, from a team that wasn't resilient enough early in the season to eke out a win against Stetson or eke out a win against Boston. It, it looks like a veteran team. They they do not shrink from the moment. And it's it's surprising and incredibly encouraging. Yeah, I was just about to use that word encouraging where it's like, I wouldn't count this team out against anybody. Um, that's one of those things where, yes, some teams in the conference might be more talented just from a recruiting standpoint or a veteran standpoint, but down two or three with two or three minutes to go, South Carolina's got a shot, and it's because they have – they're young, but AJ's played a lot of minutes. Keyshawn's played a lot of minutes. Justin's played a lot of minutes. These are guys that have some experience and have been through some of the wars – and I think being close for AJ and Keyshawn last year and playing in some big games in February and, and early March makes you ready for this. And I think that they've shown that to where they're not going to back down from anybody. Arkansas was a very, very good, very experienced team. And South Carolina was able to counter every run that they went on. And that is 
very, very encouraging, especially given the atmosphere and especially given the circumstances of that game. Arkansas has no freshmen. That seemed wrong. You and I yeah. both fact-checked it. And they don't have any freshmen. Yeah. And South Carolina had, I'm trying to remember who was on the court to end the game, but at least three sophomores or younger. Players. Mike Kozar is the only guy that has more than a year and a half of experience on this team. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. That's and, crazy. And they're finding ways to win, and they probably not arguably their best or second best win of the season against Arkansas. Incredibly resilient. Was there anything else good that you wanted to touch on that I didn't write down? Is Mike Coates on any of these lists? Um, I, I guess I kind of lumped him in with the efficient scoring. Yeah, I just really the like, big men. But yeah, yeah, let's let's hit on let's his performance a little Mike bit more. Coates Ten and nine, an assist, two steals, a block. Played twenty nine minutes. Got his scoring tick, you know, back up a little bit, and did what he needed to defensively. And yeah. unfortunately, fouled out. I thought the fifth foul was a, an atrocious call, but yeah, there were a lot of atrocious calls. <laughs> yeah, but that's all I want to say. But that's kind of what you expect from like every game. Mm-hmm. Play he's really now, good defense. He's a more consistent, even more than the scoring, which was up for most of the season. Obviously, the last four games, it was a little bit down. He was scoring, whatever, three or four points a game. Got it back up to 10. The thing that has surprised me more than his scoring output has been his consistent effort rebounding because that was yeah. never his strong suit, and he's really improved in that area this year. And I think that it kind of shows the fact that South Carolina has a lot of different ways to beat you. Um, will it work every game? Eh, probably not, but... You're a smaller team. All right, cool. Like we're gonna go out, we're gonna beat you. Going in the low post, Mike's mm-hmm. gonna score ten point, you know, mm-hmm. ten points, nine rebounds. You know, oh, you're Texas A&M, and you want to get up and down the court and play fast or whatever. Okay, we'll go with you, tip for tat, and hit sixteen threes. Um, and and Mike is a versatile enough defender that he can be on the floor when you're trying to play small ball. Yeah, and so I, I think this kind of shows the versatility of this team to where. They can play multiple styles. They like playing faster, but if you want to slow it down and, and play in the half court, we got guys that can play in the half court too. Mm-hmm. And Mike's a big reason why. Yeah, Mike and the depth and the depth yeah. was big again this game. It's it has been in pretty much it's been in really every game. I throw the Auburn game in there too. It, unfortunately, it was kind of working the other way in South Carolina's favor, where it didn't feel like they had enough depth. But so many of these games, um, again, you get fourteen from your bench bigs, you get eleven from Hannibal, you get twelve from Bolden. It's it's the depth and the ability to, to go in a lot of different directions. You're exactly right. It's been the difference for Carolina as they've climbed to twelve and eight, four and three in the conference and in control of their own destiny to grab that double buy in the SEC tournament. All right, some of the bads. Jermaine Kusnard had a bad game, five points, one of six from the floor, oh of four from three point land. One rebound. He did have four assists, turned the ball over a couple times, played just 27 minutes. Frank wasn't super happy with his performance. Yeah. Um, his worst game since moving into the role as starting point guard. But fortunately, it didn't cost South Carolina. Was this a blip? Was this a tough matchup? We, we talked about he's had some tough matchups with other good point guards. It's basically, since he, basically all of them since he started. Yeah. Since he started starting. How worried are you about Jermaine's poor performance? I'm not. I think this right now... Uh, is the exception and not the rule. Now, if it continues, obviously things change, but it's one of those where he's playing some really good guards. He's playing in a really, really hostile environment. So that's one of those where you kind of expect him to have a freshman moment. And he had a freshman moment, and now it's the last few days it's going to be recalibrating because then you got to go and play Missouri afterwards. So if he doesn't have a good game against Missouri or Ole Miss or whoever, then then we'll worry, but right now I don't see a reason to really think it's more than just a blip. No, and the one thing that is still encouraging, as I mentioned, four rebounds to two turnovers as long as that ratio is good. Because, you know, for Jermaine, when his shot's not falling, that's one thing. 
but he's still at least solid defensively. And as long as he's not getting his turnover, because he does turn the ball over too much. And I was actually surprised to look after the game and see that he only had two turnovers because both of them, I guess I just remember both of them very specifically. Yeah. And they felt bigger, and I just assumed there were some other ones in there. So good that it was only two, but the assist to turnover ratio is kind of uh, the bellwether for him because the, be, the scoring will come, the scoring will go, but the defense will be pretty consistent. As long as he can keep his playmaking up and the turnovers down, it's going to be at least okay for him. And again, it wasn't a great game, worst game since starting. Still was able to play 27 minutes, which means Frank thinks that uh, that was pretty efficient. TJ Moss, just two minutes, by the way. I think that has a lot to do with Hannibal. Probably more to do with Hannibal than anything else, but we know that Frank likes TJ. He trusts TJ. If he didn't feel like Jermaine was getting it done and he only felt comfortable playing Hannibal 16 minutes, normally that would have gone to Moss, yeah. those extra minutes. But I, I think, all in all, poor shooting performance from Cousinard, but overall... It's it's a pretty high standard if this is the worst game that he's had since being the starting point guard. Yeah, and I think that as long as he's got playmaking ability, like you said, and he's kind of making some other stuff happen when a shot's not falling, you feel good about keeping him in the game. And he's so physical and so good defensively mm-hmm. that it's hard to really... No one else on that team outside of maybe Trey Hannibal gives you that from the guard spot. Keyshawn Bryant, 17 minutes, 4 points on 1 of 3 shooting, added 5 rebounds, a couple assists anyway, a block... One turnover, only a couple fouls. He got pulled after his one turnover in the second half, and I don't think don't came back in the game. In yet, I don't no. remember him coming back in. Frank said he was getting, he didn't say pouty, but frustrated mm-hmm. on the bench, and uh, I think that kind of led to him not playing as much. Uh, didn't want to put someone that was maybe overly emotional or um, frustrated kind of out there, and then you make another mistake, and then obviously, and then Arkansas could go on a run because of it. Concern, no concern. No concern right now. No, it's just kind of weird, though, because that's a guy that Frank said, you know, when Keyshawn comes back, this team's going to have to lean on him for his leadership. It's weird for him to be benched for, like, attitude, air quotes. Yeah, like, it's weird, too, because you you saw the frustration kind of bubble over. There were a few times where they flashed to him coming back down the court after a turnover or a missed shot. Keyshawn's yelling at somebody or or, or trying to direct traffic, and and that's what you want from a guy. Frank loves that. yeah. Yeah, that's what you want. But at times, you know, Keyshawn has a tendency to kind of just freelance isn't the right word, but make a few mental mistakes. He's still trying to learn. He's he's so smart, but sometimes he tries maybe to do a little too much, and that makes things bad. And I think that if Trey Hannibal wasn't playing as well as he was, Keyshawn probably sees a little bit more minutes in the second half. But when you have a guy like Trey Hannibal playing the way the way Trey Hannibal's playing, um, it's hard to keep him out of the lineup. Justin Manaya, I, I had this written down with a question mark next to it. Four points, one of four from the field, one of three from three-point land. Split his free throws. He had two of them. Uh, one of two. That's what that means, splitting them. I realize I said that confusingly. <laughs> Just two rebounds. No other stats other than a couple of fouls. Not a great game for Manaya, who's been playing really well, really efficiently offensively. We talked about how much he raises the ceiling when your quintessential glue guy is playing well. Not a great game for him. I think, I guess we can say in summation of these bads, the fact that Kusnar Bryant and Manaya all had stinkers below average two bad yeah. games. And I think it's probably safe to fair, fair to say that they all had bad games. Yeah. And Carolina was still able to win on the road like this is a good sign. Um, but same thing with Manaya. Not too worried about it, but just not a not a very good game for him. Not a very impactful game. Yeah, and I think that how many fouls did he finish with? Just three. Two, three. Yeah. That's an issue with it, but it's just one of those where he's still young, um, to a degree and I think that every player who's younger gets a bad game here or there, and matchups dictate that, and environment dictates that, and 
that's just kind of what happened to Justin. And when the shot's not falling, you have guys like AJ and Mike and Trey who are playing well, and we keep going back to that. Those are the guys that are going to eat the minutes there. Um, and when Wildens is playing okay and fouling out in eight minutes, but <laughs> when he deserves time out there too when Bolden played pretty solid. So I don't think it's that big of a worry right now. Now no. if the trend obviously continues and there's something to worry about, but the way that these last two or three weeks have gone, I would take those over one blip on a radar on a Wednesday night in Arkansas. Yeah. Now, I watched this out of order, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like I remember part of the reason you only played 27 minutes, I think he just had, because I came home from Chappelle just in time to watch the second half and then had to watch the first half later. So I feel like he had one foul in the first half and then picked up two relatively quickly in the second half and then had to sit a lot, Yeah, which is part of, I think it was something like that. So uh, part of the reason that his minutes were down and part of the reason that his numbers overall were down. But again, all this... They won without in, him. In a win. Yeah, like they win. won without him, and it's so much easier to move on from a bad performance when you go on the road and win like that. Right, right. So and then come back home and play yeah, a Missouri and, team that's not very good that we're going to talk about in just a minute. The last thing that I had written down for bad, and this is another one with a question mark because it wasn't bad, but South Carolina, who's been a really good rebounding team, who's won that margin in a lot of these games, as I mentioned, even in total rebounds, had two more defensive rebounds, two fewer offensive rebounds. Not really a cause for concern because they won and because we've seen them have really good rebounding performances, but it just stuck out because they're so much bigger than Arkansas. You feel like they would have just slammed the offensive glass. Did that concern you at all? Not really. Um, to a degree, yes, because I expected them to go out there and just dominate the glass, and you don't. But when you take 23s, um, when you make what 28 of your 55 shots there aren't that many rebounding opportunities to go around um and when you're taking a lot of jump shots then you don't have you have less bodies in the paint to, to rebound and um i yeah it's not that big of a worry right now and i think south carolina's body of work these last six games in sec play seven games um speak more to maybe what they are instead of just like i said a blip on this radar anything else bad we need to touch on I'm sure the ugly includes fouls. The the ugly is is two things. We'll do we'll do free throw shooting first. Okay. Cuz that had a positive end to it. Right. Yeah. 17 of 33. Wow. Oof. They shot the same I mean it, it's not exactly 6 tenths of a point different and even if you round it doesn't work cuz it was 51 and a half from the line and 50.9 from the floor. So it's not exactly the same. Damn it. But a percentage point. We're yeah, talking. We're percent- talking tenths of a percentage. They shot point the here. same from the line as the field. Yeah. What? And, and Frank, Frank, it's so. I, I think he's getting tired of talking about it. They are what they are at this point, and it's a lot of young guys having to go to the line. Um, they're just not a good free throw shooting team, and and you can say all you want to about well, they should be practicing, you know, hundred free throws after practice. Well, they do, but it's a lot different. And you can do it with your heart rate up after practice. You could run, you know, suicides all you want to or whatever you call them now, gassers or whatever, until your heart's content and then try to go shoot 100 free throws. Mm -hmm. It's a lot different when you've been playing for 30 minutes. Someone absolutely just hacks you on the way to the rim. You've just gotten bodied, and then you got to go make it in front of 18,000 people. Yeah. It's a lot different. That's true. Um, Do they need to be better? Yeah, they need to be better. But at this point, like, they are what they are. Um, But give them credit. 
They started 9 of 23 and finished 17 of 33. Eight of their last 10 they made. Mm. So. Including Jair hitting both of those technical free throws. They which, made six straight, Yeah, which is huge. The, the the two technical free throws felt felt a little bit icy. Yes. Um, I guess we can we can give uh, Jair a little bit of shout-out because shout we didn't mention him in the good. but yeah. And the um, Wildens went out there and hit. I know those two right after, and that. they looked good. You know, like yeah. when when Jalen makes his free throws, it's like, Ugh. yeah. But <laughs> Wilden's hit him, and it's like, why doesn't he hit all of these? I really like his shot. Mm-hmm. I know we're talking about the ugly, but I think there's a lot of potential there for what mm-hmm. he's able to do because he's so tall and his release point is so high that it's almost unblockable. And we've he's... seen him hit a couple elbow jumpers throughout the season. He'll take, I don't know, he takes like one every other game, and it usually yeah. looks pretty good. Yeah, and I mean, I watched him in the pro man. He would. I use air quotes, work on his three, um, which is just shooting. But, I mean, the shot, the form's there. Now it's just a matter of re- kind of refining it. But yeah. Could could he be, uh, I mean, by, gosh, by the end of his career, I, I'll never forget in that Tennessee game, Chris Silva hitting the three from, like, top of the arc over. Uh, beautiful. Over. Was that Grant, Grant Williams? Williams. Yeah, yeah, that's his name. I mean, I'll duel Grant Williams in that game, by the way, the, the one that they played. He hated here playing here in Columbia. Oh, he yeah, sure. I, I talked sure. to him about it. I, I watched, uh, I was watching the Celtics in the Heat the other night, and they were going up against each other, which was oh, like, he, oh, yeah. He was one of those I talked to him at the end of his career. He was, I'm just so, I'm glad I don't have to really play Grant Williams twice a year now. It's yeah. Yeah, now it's going to have to be like five times a year. Yeah. <laughs> He's doing it yeah. Or if they're in the playoffs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. But uh, it started with Chris Silva being able to hit that short side corner three. Yeah. Is that a potential upside for Levesque? Maybe yeah, so. I think so. His free throws look good. And, what I have heard NBA people say, you know, scouts, scout types, is that the best indicator of consistent three-point shooting is free-throw shooting. Yeah. So if Levesque continues to, I mean, let's see, what was he? he had two of his four, so still not good, still at just 50%. But the form looks fine. It's just a matter of getting it to go in, I guess. But the free-throw shooting is atrocious. I have three things to say. One, South Carolina can be a bad free-throw shooting team and still shoot way better than 17 of 33. Like a bad three-point shooting team They're is like, like 60 or 65. The They're like bottom 10 in the country yeah. free throw shooting percentage. So if Carolina is a bad free throw shooting team, that's a significant improvement over what happened on Wednesday. Yeah. Number two, I got to give my roommate credit for this. And then I, I guess I I will add to the idea. So South Carolina, they practice. What do they practice? Two hours a day, like every day, yeah. except for game days. And Roughly then, that. And then they get an off day during the week. Yeah. Okay. So Carolina pretty much knows what they're going to do on offense. They pretty much know what they're going to do on defense in terms of their offense. And yes, there's probably some stuff that they add or tweak or address in particular for whatever upcoming opponent. And yes, they can be better at offense. They can be better at defense in all facets of it. You can always improve. But if Carolina spends two hours one day working on their half-court sets and they have a really good practice and they improve 1%, that's pretty good. That's a, that's a very good day of practice. How much better would this team be if they spent those two hours literally just shooting thousands of free throws for two hours straight and improved like three to five percent on free throws? They would be shooting sixty three percent from maybe. From the and, and this and Carolina fans would not have had to sweat out this game on Wednesday. And Frank Martin's estimation says that Carolina has lost four games this year because of free throw shooting. Would Carolina be sixteen and four right now? Probably not. Probably not. But Damn it. <laughs> it's fun revisionist history, yeah. At some point, and this is this is what my roommate said. He was like, look, I get that free throw shooting is something you have to improve on your own. You know, come in early or stay late or whatever. And yeah, this isn't a coaching up. thing. But at some point, like, this is such a problem for this team. Doesn't Frank Martin have to do something? Like, his job is to improve I, problems I think, with the and team. Like, that's the weird thing is I think he's he's trying to. And in practice, he's even mentioned it where if they're in, like, five-on-five five up and down the court scrimmage stuff. Mm-hmm. And a, one of their good free throw shooters, I say good 
comparatively speaking. And they have any of those? Yeah. Compared to one of their better free throw shooters okay. gets fouled. He'll put someone that's not good at the free throw sh- mm. at free throw shooting on the line to try to get that game experience. So mm. they're trying. It's just a team that's right now not good at mm. free throw shooting. Do you know who the there are five teams worse than South Carolina at free throw shooting? Arkansas Pine Bluff. <laughs> UMBC. Hey, I know them. Yeah. Nebraska. Army and St. Louis. Wow. It's a murderer's row right there. Those are the uh, teams worse than South Carolina. Good job, Carolina. They, uh, no, I, I don't know if anyone keeps track of this. This would not even be research that's worth doing. But if South Carolina continues playing well, like they did against Arkansas, and, you know, better for some of these guys, and they make the postseason either NIT or NCAA tournament, I have a feeling they could be the worst free throw shooting team of all time to ever make postseason play. I feel like that is on the table. Yeah, I think that would be on the table. Um, I have one more thing to say about the free throw shooting, but it has escaped me, and I didn't write it down. And good for, but good for them for eight of ten to win the game. Yeah, I've, I will include that every time. Uh, yes, they yes. came in clutch when they needed to come in clutch. The game could have been over by then, but when they needed to make free throws, they made most of their free throws. Seventeen to thirty-three. Now, the other part of that that's really nice for Carolina is Arkansas was just twenty-six of forty. Oh, it was bad. Yikes! Not good. The fact sixty-five percent. The fact that they shot, and I'm sure we're about to touch on it. 73 free throws in a college basketball game. 57 fouls. And 33, I feel like I saw this on Twitter. It may have been you, it may have been someone else, or maybe I just made it up. That 33 fouls in a game was the most since the 2010-11 season. I didn't come up with that stat, but that sounds right. They've, I don't know. Don't quote that at, at f- parties this weekend because I might be wrong, but it was a, way too many fouls. The fact that they had... F- they, they, the Kentucky game was unwatchable when they had 52. That was the Kentucky game, right? Yeah. They had 52 fouls combined against Kentucky. They had 52 fouls with three minutes to go in this game. And added that's un- five more. That's uneffing watchable. It's awful. And it's not South Carolina's fault. It's not Arkansas's no. fault. Nope. There it's, were plenty of bad calls both ways. Carolina and, got bailed out on some calls. Arkansas got bailed out on some yeah, calls. Yeah, and like, I, I mean, I saw on our message boards and our live threads and whatnot that South Carolina, you know, the officials are in it for Arkansas. No, the officials were just dog crap to begin with. I mean, I honestly thought they were worse for Arkansas than for South Carolina. Yeah, I was talking about that with my roommates watching the game. We are like, Arkansas, South Carolina has been on the good end of a lot Mm -hmm. of these calls. Yeah. And I just think it's poor officiating across the board. College officiating this year has been bad. I just feel like it's always bad. And and this was was the low end of bad, sure. But this is exactly why... An order of things that I want to watch casually. It's like European soccer, mm-hmm. NBA, college football, NFL, tennis, maybe golf. I don't like watching college basketball. And it, I mean, one, it's because I just didn't grow up a big college basketball fan. So I, I don't have like a, I don't have a lot, a lot of nostalgia, a lot of like history necessarily watching it. But primarily, it's because the game is so disjointed because of all the timeouts, because of all the stoppages, because of all the fouls. 57 fouls and 50 made shots in this game. Yeah. Who wants that? Who is this for? Why do officials, do they suck on purpose or are they just that bad? And if that's the case, why not just tell them not to yeah. call so many fouls? Yeah. And, and like, it's not even like, there were a few where I'm just like, there's no point in calling a foul there. No. 
I mean, there's hand checks you're calling for some reason. Like, I get it if the guy's going out there mugging him at the at the half court line, but just when in doubt, swallow the damn whistle and let the kids play because in the end, there's a reason why the NCAA tournament's so popular for a lot of different reasons. But one of the reasons is there's actual game flow. Mm-hmm. And the officials like to swallow their whistles a little bit more in those games. And it benefits game flow, and it makes it the game a lot more watchable. But when you have these guys that go out there and start calling everything, you know, if I if you know Jair Bolden breathes on a guy wrong, mm-hmm. gets a foul, like come on, like that's not fun for anybody. Basketball is a beautiful sport. Yes, gorgeous. It's, it's flow. It is. It's structure and improvisation existing and a phenomenal harmony at its peak. And yet, in college basketball, I don't know if this is an exaggeration. This game was like about two and a half hours. So I don't know what what would happen if you were to extrapolate it out over, you know, the standard like three and a half or three forty five of a football game. But it feels like in college basketball there are more stoppages than a football game. A game in which stoppages are built into every single play. Yes. I, I again, I don't know. I've been lazy. I apologize. I said I was going to do this yesterday on my local show on one hundred seven five, and I still didn't do it. And all that time on the toilet and you still didn't do it. I know. Well, I wasn't even on the toilet. I was just literally just laying on my floor. I just like laid on my yoga mat and I have a space heater that's like, I don't know. How big is this? Pretty average size. <laughs> <laughs> a space heater that's like the size of my iPad. All right. I said this is going to be an yeah. e-podcast. Yeah. I, I, uh, I didn't think that was going to be why. Point is, that's what I was doing. I was laying on my floor yeah. with a little space heater just pointed at my belly. Um, so I guess I could have done it then. Point is, I didn't. The reality is, I just don't want to know how many consecutive possessions. Two and a half hours for a basketball game is just ridiculous. Yeah, and how many consecutive possessions had a foul? And how many up? Yeah, how many up and downs did you get without a, at least one stoppage in play? Like I can only, like I can only think of one or two. Yeah, and I don't even know if it was that many. And give them credit, they didn't call a foul in the last possession, which, which is stunning. Yeah, um, but I, I just, I don't know. If you're gonna swallow the whistles at certain points in the game. Just swallow the whistles, period. Yeah, so you know? if, if you feel like there need to be a certain number of fouls called, which is, like, e- extremely problematic, that's, like, cops that are like, oh, got to hit our quota, so you were going one over, so here's your speeding ticket. Yeah. Um. Now I'm going to get a speeding ticket. Sorry, I'm not calling out cops. Y- y'all do a great job and stuff, but don't give me a ticket for going one over or yeah. five over or whatever. Please. Thank you. Yeah. I might edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> Point is... It, we talked about uh, we talked about this on Tuesday. I think watching or was it Tuesday? I don't remember. You and I talked about watching the North Carolina NC State game. It was awesome. It was great. It was very pleasant. There was flow. Uh, you know the the drama that's like built into the course of a of a free flowing basketball game. You know you allow that to thrive. You allow it to blossom. It's it's great to watch. There's drama. There's tension and release in every possession and the ebbs and flows and the little runs and you know transition opportunities and everything. And that's just completely taken out of the game when you call fouls like this. But in that game, it's like, there were like, I think we were probably at the, we were like at the under 12. Neither team was in the bonus yet. And it's like, okay, if someone gets a little bit handsy, like you can call a foul just to, to if you, if you're an official and you feel like breaking up the game because like it hasn't been that many, but just, I don't know. I don't even agree with that. But point is when you're in a game where there have already been so many fouls called, I feel like you should stop calling the ticky tack bullshit because nobody wants to see that. Nobody yeah. likes that. That is not for anybody. It's not for the benefit of the players. It's not for the benefit of the viewers or the coaches or the game or anything. And the other part of it is 
because you only get 5,000 college basketball, which makes sense based on math and things like that, you don't want to see all the best players fouling out of a game. Like, yeah. I, I've been a huge proponent, and I can't remember if they actually changed the rule or not, but in the NBA, if you go into overtime, I feel like you should get another foul. Because, you know, it sucks when you're watching the end of a game and LeBron James or, you know, Pascal Siakam or whomever, like, fouls out in the last minute of a close game, and then it goes to overtime, and you have to watch a whole overtime period without either team having their best player. Right. It's like, no, 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 I'm watching this because I want to watch the best players. And yes, there should be penalties, and you shouldn't be able to just foul unlimitedly, but you want to see the best players, you want to see flow, you want to see rhythm, and it's almost like college basketball officials either don't like basketball or have never watched basketball or want to make the games all about themselves. I have never met a person that goes to a basketball game to watch free throws, ever. And I can, from the texts I receive and the people I talk to after games and whatever, no one was like, 73 free throws, man. Did you see that? That was awesome. No, it was, they shot 70 freaking free, th- free throws. No one needs that in a game. You know, teams should be shooting between 20 and 30, and that's about it. But the officials, and I don't know if they want to make it all about themselves or whatever, but like, come on, guys, like, you're better than that. And I don't want to go into a game and have it last two and a half hours and watch 73 free throws. And teams only make 40 of them. Right. Yeah, that was the other part. Is, is the free throw shooting being so ugly just compounded how unpleasant the game was to watch? I, I can't remember if I even started the podcast like this or if you and I were just talking about it walking up here. It was an exciting game for Carolina, but it was not fun to watch. No. I hated pretty much every second of watching this game because it was just watching fouls and free throws. And frankly, I wish that the game had been at 7 so that I had missed almost the entire thing so that I could have watched the whole thing on replay because it's really easy to fast forward through the free throws and through the fouls and the stoppages and I could have watched the whole game in like 50 minutes. Yeah. But instead I had to sit through the whole damn thing in real time. And I hate college basketball officials and I want to like college basketball, but they make it so hard because I want to see baskets. I want to see defense. I want to see flow. I want to see physicality. Like, college basketball is not a contact sport. No, at this point, no. And it's frustrating because in the SEC, being physical kind of comes with the nature of the thing. This is the SEC. It's 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 a football conference, and the football kind of trickles over into basketball and trickles over into baseball to a degree and almost every other sport. So you, it's more physical than an ACC or a Big Ten or a Big 12 where it's more flashy and more, you know, wide open, spread out where you're going to get guys that bang down low and drive to the rim and, and finish. And I don't see this being a problem. I don't watch a lot of other outside of the SEC, but this is a huge problem in the SEC. It's just not fun to watch half the damn time, and that's frustrating. We're recording this Friday morning, so I think you and I have both cooled off a little bit from just the general frustration. If we had recorded this yesterday afternoon, I would have been even hotter. And if we had just hopped on the mics right after the game Wednesday, oh, man, this would have been oh, like a, a lot super e-podcast. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Wes is really annoying about it and he always he wants me to just cut it out and like sometimes I bleep it he hates when I say the fuck word and I don't know why he hates that people that's why people listen to podcasts they want to hear the fuck word yeah um so I didn't say that as much as I did during that tirade about officiating and about fouls being called and things like that so I apologize if you were looking forward to that but I, I've cooled off a little bit it's it's Monday morning I've gotten I didn't this know we were dropping f-bombs here huh so if I knew we were dropping f bombs. Fuck could've. bombs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like. Yeah, I like calling it the fuck word instead yeah. of the f word. Um, yeah, I guess we can. I mean, it's a podcast. We'll put an e label on it, and I'll, I'll even put it in the description because this is not normally an e podcast. We're normally, well, it, we're normally e for everyone. This is now e for yeah. explicit. Um, we're not normally like that, but 
I said on Twitter that it was going to be the case. It wasn't for the reasons that I thought it was going to be. Um, so now we're know. just dropping fuck to just drop yeah, fuck now, at this now point. We're yeah. just, now we're just saying the fuck <laughs> word. Um, all right. Now, uh, now you can turn the volume back up if your kids are in the car. Yeah. We're at the, well, actually, I don't know. We're like around the hour mark. So turn the, turn the volume back up. We're done. We're done. We're done using the fuck word. Yeah. Um, that, that's it for the ugly. That pretty much does it, I think, for the Arkansas game. Did you have any other thoughts, anything that we should touch on? No, good win. Great win. Great, Great win. win. Uh, so South Carolina jump, uh, jumped 13 spots in the net from 88 to 75. They're now almost at the point, and I can't remember exactly what the cutoff is, so you'll have to tell me exactly and correct me because I'm sure I'm wrong. Carolina's almost at the point where if somebody wins in the Colonial Life Arena, it would be a quad one win. Because isn't a road win like in the it top is. It'll, 70? It'll be a quad one win, yeah. Yeah, that's it. So, so like if is, Ole Miss came in, it'd be a it went because South Carolina would probably drop, but right. one through seventy-five is 75? on the road is a quad Sweet. one win. South Carolina is now road quad one win territory. Uh, kind of an interesting way to think about it, and hopefully we don't have to have that conversation in terms of other teams beating Carolina and getting that quad one win. But good job, way to jump thirteen spots in the net. Uh, the next team that's coming to Colonial Life Arena is actually Missouri, so they'll have the first chance to uh, grab a quad one win at the Colonial Life Arena. Missouri's not very good. They've had a weird season though, so yeah, they are. Weird. They have two really good wins. Yeah. They beat Florida to start SEC play. They're Demolished two and five in conference. Yeah. By 16, 91 75. Was that the final score? Yeah. yeah. So they won by, yeah, 16. They're just two and five in conference play, though. They're 10 and 10 overall. They also beat Illinois, who's a tournament team. They beat Illinois. They beat Florida. Uh, they beat Georgia and came back from down 20. 20? Yeah. I was really disappointed because that was the same night that Ole Miss blew a 19 point lead, and I just wish they had been up by 20 so that Auburn could have completed. A 20-point comeback, so there could have been two 20-point comebacks. Yeah, Georgia was up 59-39 with 13 and a half minutes to go in the game. I changed the channel. I watched. I, I turned over to that Auburn game. Yeah, because I was like, okay, well, this is this is decided. And then all of a sudden, Missouri comes roaring back. And then the other teams that they've lost, like they lost, they lost at Mississippi State. That's a fine loss. They lost at Alabama. That's a fine loss. They lost to at Kentucky. That's a fine loss. They lost to Tennessee. Oh, by the way, that Florida game was third oh. for them in SEC play, not to start it. That was my bad. Um, Still kicked the crap out of them. Yeah. But they have good losses. They have a good win. The only loss that sticks out as kind of weird is the Texas A&M loss at home. That was only by two points. Um, and I guess you can say Tennessee a little bit. That's by 10. What do you make of this Missouri team? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of where I am. Uh, yeah. They've been decent. They're very similar to South Carolina in some regard to where you, you kind of don't know what you're going to get night in and night out. Um, they are very mediocre offensively, kind of middle of the road. Pretty okay defensively, which is what South Carolina is. They play slower. They're not a good shooting team. Uh, they're really not a good shooting team in SEC play outside of three points. Really good free throw shooting team, though. Mm-hmm. Um, but very slow. Uh, bottom four teams in both offensive and defensive efficiency since conference play started in SEC play. Um, turn the ball over a lot. Force a lot of turnovers. Just kind of one of those teams that they're opportunistic. If they get enough opportunity, they can beat you. But if they don't, then it's going to be a struggle. Uh, you always have the good advanced analytics. These are just some basic counting stats that I pulled from the SEC website yesterday. Missouri's 12th in points, 13th. These are all in the conference, obviously. 12th in the conference in points, 13th in field goal percentage, 9th in three-point percentage, tied with Carolina and Arkansas, 3rd in free throw percentage. You mentioned that's a really good stat. More on that in just a minute. 13th in defensive rebounding, 3rd in turnovers per game, meaning they turn it over a lot tied for 12th in assists per game, and just 12th in blocks per game in the conference. So 2-5 and five and 10-10 and 10 sounds right, but then they beat Florida by 16. And yeah. then they came back from 
Uh, Georgia's not a good team, but I mean, to come back from down 20 against anybody is pretty impressive. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're South Carolina, you know this is a team that can go in there and beat you, but there are a lot of things that are working in South Carolina's favor here, uh, just in terms of South Carolina's been a good three-point shooting team in SEC play, and Missouri's not been a very good three-point defense. They're the worst in the SEC since conference play started in three-point percentage against, 12th in two-point percentage against, um, so they don't protect the paint that well. And teams are weirdly shooting very well free throw wise against them. Now that has nothing to do with Missouri, but um, <laughs> they're they're a terrible free throw shooting defensive team. Yeah, like I I love that stat where it's like free throw shooting against. And it's like mm-hmm. who cares? Like it's just no matter who you're maybe playing. Maybe that just but, like if it were at versus home, like maybe different. But yeah, yeah, no. but yeah, no, that's a dumb stat. Um, they force. It's just it's a weird team that they find kind of weird ways to win, and this is a team that can beat south carolina i'm not it's the sec really anybody can beat anyone unless your name's vanderbilt um <laughs> yeah but who hold the record now right they tied the record with yeah. south carolina and then they yeah they have the record now after wednesday yeah. yeah so i mean it's a team that turns the ball over a lot forces a lot of turnovers and like i said if they're going to get a lot of opportunities they look probably pretty good and if they don't and south carolina protects the ball then it's less so Roadmap for Missouri to upset South Carolina because this is not only the second time in conference play that South Carolina will enter a conference game as a favorite. If you foul Missouri 33 times, they're going to make you pay. I mentioned they're third. Yeah. They will not in, go 20 for 40 from the line. No, they will. Yeah, no, seriously. They're third in free throw percentage, including they hit 31 of 31 free throws in a game earlier this season, which yeah. I think was a record. They're good. And then they hit their first 23 free throws in the next game. And I know for a fact. That's a record. 54 of 54 straight free throws was a record. So don't foul Missouri because they will make their free throws. They will, where basically Carolina and Arkansas were even. Now, Arkansas shot 65%. They made 26 of 40. Carolina was only 17 of 33. So not exactly even. But the point is, both teams left a ton of points at the line. And so it didn't overly hurt either team. And in fact, it hurt Carolina more. But, you know, splitting hairs here, Missouri, that's one place where they can make up a, a talent deficit, like a shooting deficit. It's not necessarily going to be extra possessions, but they're going to get all of their freebies that you give them. So don't give them a lot of freebies. Yeah, they play on the perimeter a lot too. Mm-hmm. That I think I'm looking at the stat: 36.2 percent of their points in conference play have come from three pointers. Wow, which so, is best in the league. So Drew Smith is kind of the bellwether for them. He's only scoring about 12 points a game. He's their leading scorer, which kind of tells you everything that you need to know. But you look at I'm just going to go through the last couple games. He scored 16 in the win against Georgia, two points in the loss against West Virginia. And by the way, that was two points in 30 minutes. Uh, 18 points in a close loss to A&M. 18 points in a kind of lopsided loss to Alabama. That's the one that kind of sticks out. But they lost by almost 30 to Mississippi State. He scored just two. He scored 22 in the win against Florida. Just six in the loss against Tennessee. Um, just 11 in the loss against Kentucky. Against Illinois, the team that you mentioned they beat. That's a good win for them. 19 points. So if he's scoring like 15-plus, they're going to be in the game. Otherwise, he's not. And for Carolina, Jermaine Cousinard's a pretty good defender. Trey Hannibal getting more minutes. You feel pretty good about that. And A.J. looking more locked in than ever. I feel like Carolina, I think that's a matchup that definitely favors them. And you say, what do you do to shut Missouri down? Don't let Drew Smith go for 18 or 22 because as he goes, so the team goes. Carolina has enough defensive options to throw at him. Yeah. And, I mean, even yet, like Mason Jones had an un- unbelievable game. But Isaiah Joe, just, what did I say, 5 of 15 or 5 of 14 yeah. from the floor. You know, Ashton Hagens had a pretty poor game against him. Saban Lee also didn't shoot very well. Carolina does a pretty good job. It's weird. Like they, they their their defense against point guards hasn't been great, 
this year, but they've at least made those guys work for shots. Right. Um, Andrew Nimhard being like the really notable exception, but, but other than that, NBA player, dude. right? I mean, that's yeah. Um, so you, you feel like that's a, that's an okay defensive matchup for Carolina. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see who gets him because Xavier Pinson's obviously a guy that has been there and done that. Um, I want to say he's like a junior, or senior, um, sophomore. Never mind. Um, but he's this team's kind of starting point guard um, to a degree and plays a lot of minutes. So it will be interesting to see who gets him and then who gets Drew, obviously. So I think you're probably going to put Jermaine on Pinson. And let AJ take Drew. And then let AJ take Drew Smith. Um, Or if you're playing Trey, and you could play Trey Hannibal and Jermaine Kusnard at the same time and put Hannibal on Pinson and Kusnard on Smith or vice versa. Um let it work so yeah smith, and, and smith is a little bit bigger so it makes sense to put the bigger aj on, yeah. on him. they're about the same height i think they're both six three but smith has got another 20 pounds on him 30 pounds listed yeah he's pinson's 170 drew smith's 203 wow yeah. so um it'll be interesting to see because they kind of split points of minutes at the point guard um smith plays a lot more minutes obviously at the shooting guard spot but um their most frequent lineup over the last five games is smith at the point guard spot and pinson coming off the bench so We'll be interesting to see how that works. They play on the court at the same time, but when Smith and Pinson are on the court together, it will be very, very intriguing to see who gets what matchup in that regard. If Carolina does what they did against Arkansas, they will win comfortably, and that's yeah, a pretty probably. good sign, yeah. again, given that Jermaine didn't play very well, Keyshawn didn't play very well, Justin didn't play very well. The one thing that you say, you just always watch out for whenever you have a big win, an emotional win, a long game, tiring win on they didn't the road. Get home to like two thirty. Yeah, long road trip. You worry about a little bit of a slow start, maybe some some tired legs. But one, only one Gamecock played more than thirty minutes. That was AJ. Yeah. Next highest was Mike. Manaya played twenty seven. Bryant played seventeen. Kushner played twenty seven. Frank played five. Levesque played eight. McCreary thirteen. Hannibal sixteen. Bolden eighteen. So a pretty like a nice even distribution yeah. of minutes there so hopefully you don't see that tired of legs but again an emotional win we've seen south carolina have some real bad hangover games this year i think it's fair to say with that being yeah. said is it time for the reverse jinx who will Ooh. buoy a potentially lackluster performance from south carolina i'm not expecting it to be lackluster but i just wouldn't be surprised if that were the case knowing anything about south carolina they'll pull off this they pulled off the arkansas win and then we'll come back and be down like 10 at halftime yeah it, it kind, kind of feels like back. that yeah, just one of those where like I've covered South. I've been around South Carolina for a very long time. Covered them now for six years. Um, I've kind of it, it's in South Carolina's nature. Um, do I think they win this game? If I was going to put money on it for entertainment purposes only, sure, I think mm-hmm. they win this game. But um, it's going to be close. They have a sixty-six percent chance to win. They only had a fifteen percent chance to win against Arkansas. That number, by and large, doesn't really affect me. I had people. I think it was people, pretty. Consistent sixty five percent. Yeah, yeah, th- those are normally, normally pretty, uh, pretty similar. Yeah, I had people both on my local show and I think maybe on the message boards too saying before the Vanderbilt game. Yeah, you know, wouldn't it all surprise me to see Carolina lose to Vanderbilt and then go on the road to beat beat Arkansas because you know, like like we're saying, that's sort of what this team does. Wouldn't surprise me if it were you know kind of the same, but on the other side, it's like oh, you go beat Arkansas and then you lose to a Missouri team that's again not good, ten and ten, but has at least shown the flashes yeah. of beating and, a team. And like you Florida. need to go out and win this game. Because it just helps with momentum. Um, you can't stomach it, but you could stomach a loss on the road at Ole Miss. 
mm-hmm. um, a little bit easier because it weighs a little bit better in the net when you lose on the road compared to at home. So win your games at home is yeah. what I'm saying. And again, we started the podcast by saying this, and we'll kind of wrap up by saying this. Carolina, for the first time in the 2019-20 college basketball season, is ahead of schedule. They're ahead of where they needed to be. Don't take that as an opportunity to— This is a crossroads. To, huh? This is a crossroads. It's a crossroads, and Carolina can either, like you're saying, not like waste the opportunity, but they can either get back to where you're scratching and clawing every single game, or they can continue to play as front runners in this Missouri game. This Missouri game, I think, will go a long way to determining that. This has more upset potential. Carolina's going to be favored the next three games. And yeah. if they're going to lose any of those three, I would say it's this Missouri game, even more than Ole Miss on the road, and then you get Georgia back at home. Just because you're coming off the Arkansas game and you're at home and it's possible for some complacency to set in, that is leading me directly to my reverse jinx. Do you have yours ready, or do you need a minute? I think I got mine. Okay. You want to 3-2-1 it? Yeah, we'll 3-2-1 it. Okay. 3 Two, one, Justin Minaya. Okay, cool. So yeah. thinking the same thing, taking one guy from the bad category. For me, this feels like the, you know, maybe AJ is like, eh, you know, Kuznard has another okay game. Maybe Mike gets into foul trouble. I'm just making up a lot of scenarios. But point is, this feels like glue guy saying, all right, come on, guys. Like, I know we just had a big win, but like, let's 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 get our act together and, and actually win this game. That's kind of what Justin does. Come back from a little bit of a poor offensive performance, poor all-around performance on Wednesday. Bounce back, have another like 15-9 and nine kind of game. With Keyshawn, I think it's going to be, I think this game's going to be one where you've seen South Carolina at times kind of get off to a slow start. Um, I think this game's going to be close in the second half. Um, please don't at me, at uh, Chris Clark GC if... Uh, if <laughs> GC Chris Clark. GC Chris Clark if uh, I am wrong. <laughs> but... I love his involvement in this podcast. Yeah. Um, but if it's close, I think South Carolina is going to need some momentum kind of plays. And you saw that against, I think it was Kentucky. Mm-hmm. He had a few like putback dunks, kind of stopped Kentucky's run, started a run for South Carolina, changed momentum. You're going to probably need that in this kind of game where the atmosphere, it should be, damn good crowd i think i hope so 3 30 on a saturday 3 30 on a saturday before the, the, football, the, before the super bowl the there's no other real event going on in town um the football newcomers are going to be introduced at halftime so oh, right right yeah well, must champ's going to be there big recruiting weekend um for that one kid that's expected to sign um <laughs> is he expected to yeah, sign we, anymore <laughs> i'm gonna let uh angry tweet gc chris clark and westman um yeah so it's a huge moment and I say that to say the crowd's going to be really good and Keyshawn's going to need to have a big game to kind of get this crowd into it mm-hmm. and provide some athleticism that I don't think Missouri can necessarily combat. No. If Carolina is looking for energy, if they're looking for life and something to get them going, I'm going more for just like the, like Justin and I is going to keep everyone afloat. But I, yeah. I, I now that you've said Brian, I kind of like that because he's he's just such an energy player anyway. If anyone can get the Colonial Life Arena on their feet like that, it's, oh, it's him it. with a putback dunk, you know, steal, dunk in transition, something like that. And if we want to play the tired legs, long game, long travel, I mean, not like short week, but you get back Thursday morning, you probably have practice Thursday and then like a walkthrough Friday and then game Saturday. If you want to play the tired legs angle, Keyshawn's not going to have those. He only played 17 minutes on yeah. Wednesday. So be fresh. Um, 
dunk on some fools, get on Sports Center. It's been a while since he's made the top ten, probably a couple weeks. Yeah. So it was long for him. I know. Yeah. I felt like last year he was pretty much every week. I still think he's the best dunker in the SEC, even though he hasn't had as many How highlight cool would reels. Would that be if we had like a SEC dunk contest? <sighs> they need to, well. So okay. So I was lamenting this last year. I said, "Why is there not a college dunk contest?" Because Keyshawn should be in it. There is and one. Though. Some yeah. Somebody said that. I had. I've never seen it. I've never heard of it. It's I don't like know if right it's after like the Final Four. It's so like well, not well put together. Yeah, that's a shame. But I would love that. Yeah, because no. they don't really get like big names in it. Mm. But. Well, there just aren't that many big names in college yeah. basketball, which is part of the problem, especially this year. I would love to see a media, like, not dunk contest, because I don't think there's anyone in the media that can dunk. <laughs> Seven-foot um, rim. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lower to eight, and we'll see what yeah. happens. But, like... I can almost dunk on 10. If I were 5'11", I could dunk on 10. I'm 6'2", and can't dunk at all. Mm. We did, after um, an availability or something... Oh, the freshman availability for men's basketball... We tried shooting free throws in mm-hmm. a practice gym. Oh, it did not. Go I've never well. shot on a real basket like that, but I've heard that something about the bass or the backboard being clear kind of throws off your depth perception and makes it harder, or just harder to get used to when you're used to looking yeah, at a solid. Yeah, and I'm backdrop. not good at basket. I'm, all right, you know what? Oh, we'll take that. It's a very hard backboard to shoot. Yeah. It's not about my talent. <laughs> yeah, you're about to talk about how yeah. trash you were at basketball. Yeah, yeah which not, is fine because I am too. But. Oh, it's one, like I'm always the guy that like I grew up the chunky kid, and I'm still kind of the chunky kid, um, but. That was like my thing. It was like just go stand under the rim. You're tall. Mm-hmm. Haul in some rebounds. Kick out. That was my thing. But I would love to see like a media like combine. Yeah, I, I want to do something like that. I've I've talked about it with some of the folks at the station over, over here at 1075 as we sit here in the 1075 the game podcast studio about getting something like that together before sports. We do a fun opening day thing for baseball, but we're mostly just like at the park. I would love for you know opening day for baseball take some BP. Opening day there's, there's for rumblings. basketball, have like a have like a media, pick just like game? pickup game, like five v five, just do half court or something like that, and then for football, do like kind of combine events, have like yeah. a you know have a forty and like have a punt passing kick or something like that. I think that would be a blast. There's rumblings of, I don't know if I can talk about it, but media BP. Really? Yeah. Oh man. Who knows? Would you crush that? No. 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 You there seem was... like a baseball player. No, I just. No. Were you not an awesome first I, baseman I, no. back in the day? No. I'm. Well, I was like a lefty. I gave up baseball very early in my life. Um because I'm a lefty and <laughs> shocker in little league guys don't know how to throw to lefties. So um, my average was absolute trash. Mm-hmm. My on base percentage. Great. Mm. So I kept getting beamed. Yeah. See, I didn't um, know you were a lefty. That's great news. I'm also a lefty. Okay. That's why this podcast has been um, so easy. Yeah. Um, no, I was never good. I played football for a little bit growing up, but um, the only time that I've ever really like hit since giving it up was the Beth Smith challenge. I did that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was at the baseball facility earlier that day doing an interview for, um, I think it was that oral history on the 2010, oh, yeah. 11 thing. Which was and, great. Um, Y'all read that if you haven't. Yeah. Um, and Stuart Lake, I ran into him and he tossed me a few like underhand in the batting cages. Nice. Which was awesome. That's cool. The funniest part was Skylar Mead coming in and looking at me like, what the hell are you doing, bud? <laughs> like, that was the funniest part of that, that entire situation. That's so. great. Well, yeah, hopefully we'll get some media stuff and. Maybe Let's do a pickup thing. I think Carrie Rich mentioned it. Really? Yeah. I'm, I he was trying to sure get it. So if you see Carrie, kind of. I'll say something put, to him. Put the bug I really in his think ear. that would be a lot of fun. Put the bug in his ear, yeah. I, I think that would be a lot of fun. Me and Mike Uva have talked about it a little bit, too. Yeah. So put the bug. I saw him. He sat a couple rows in front of me at Dave Chappelle. I didn't get a chance to talk to him because we were scrambling out. But yeah. Hmm? Yeah. Just boom. <laughs> Just boom. <laughs> um, all right. That'll do it for us. We will be back hopefully on Tuesday, barring any 
additional gastrointestinal distress on my part, which can't be ruled out because I'm about to pig out on the Super Bowl because this is the first time I can eat sugar and drink and booze yeah. since December 31st. So uh, no promises. But we plan to be back on Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to The Hard Foul and everything else on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. For Colin, I'm Pearson. Y'all enjoy the Super Bowl. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager. Only $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York.